Alright, we're going to start on the top of Chafam and Aleph by the two dots. What was so good about the earlier generations that they had miracles happen to them? And what's so bad about us that we can't get these miracles take place? If it's because of the Limit Torah, when it came to the years of Rabbi Yehuda, the generation of Rabbi Yehuda, they only learned, say the Nizikin, or they only learned, as Rashi points out of here, it's a slightly different gear, so they only learned the Masechtot that had Bavli on them, and we learn all the Shisha Sidre Mishnah. When Rabbi Yehuda used to reach these Mishnayot and Uksin, Haisha. Shukveshet Yerek Biktera. Barmilan, some say Zaitim Shikabshan Bitarfehen, Horin. Amar Havayot, the Rabushmol, Kachazinan Hocha. These are like the issues that were dealt with by Rav in Shmuel. Now, Rav Yehuda, as we know, was originally a Talmud of Rav, and then was later on a Talmud of Shmuel. So Rav and Shmuel were his Rebbeim. So when he's speaking about the Mishnah, he's speaking about the difficulty of these Mishnayot. The quote in the Gemara is actually, he mentions Uksin here, but one of the Mishnayot, the first one is quoted is from Taharot. The second one is from Uksin. They're both the second parak, the first Mishnah, and both of those Masechdot. The Mishnayot there are speaking about, in the first case, an instance where a woman is putting in vegetables, fruits to pickle them. And then it discusses there the transference of Tumah through the leaves of that vegetable. The second Mishnah talks about Zaitin Shikabshan Bitarfehen. Olives that he pickles with their leaves on them. The status of those leaves is Tehorim. And then that Mishnah continues afterwards and says the reason that they are Tehorim is because they are Lemar'eh. They're just for the way that they look. Rashi claims over here that the Tarfehen, the leaves, once they are pickled, they go bad. And since they go bad, they are no longer what's called a Yad, an extension or a handle for the Zayit. If you learn Mishnayot Uksin, over there we talk about Yad and Shomer, things that extend the object itself and allow Tumat to be passed either from that object to other things or from other things to that object. One of those is a Yad. A Yad is an object or an extension of the item that allows you to carry it. So the leaves, generally, when they're on the olive, you could pick up the olive through the leaves. They become an extension of the olive itself. And therefore, if Tumat touches the leaf, it would affect the olive itself. Once you put them in to be pickled, the leaves are going to go bad. After that, when you pull out the leaf, it's not going to be able to hold up the olive. So because of that, it's no longer classified as a Yad. That's what Rashi says. Tosafot, on the other hand, argues, and because of the latter half of the Mishnah, which I just mentioned, which is that the Mishnah gives the reason, because they're only there for their look. So Tosafot explains that when it comes to these leaves, there are different reasons why you can pickle the leaves. You can put the leaves and to be pickled to show how fresh these olives are because the leaves are still on them. Or you can be pickling the leaves in order to make them edible. The leaves are not edible unless you pickle them. So Tosavot says, if you're pickling those leaves in order to make them edible, then you're right. They're not mekabal tumah until they become ocho. When do they become ocho? After they're pickled, they're edible. That's when they become ocho, they'll be mekabal tumah. On the other hand, if you're simply putting them in there for mar'eh, for them to look good or to look fresh because they have the leaves on them, then the leaves serve no purpose, and that's why they are Tehorim. So that's what those two Mishnayot are dealing with. And Rav Yehuda is exclaiming or saying about these Mishnayot that they were so difficult to him that they were the equivalent to all the questions 
that my two Rebbeim used to ask on the Gemara. So then, in our time, when it comes to the Mishnayot of Uksin and the Mishnayot of Teharot, Vanan Kamatninan Uksin Tleisar Mitivta. And we have in Masechet Uksin Tleisar Mitivta. So the two ways to learn this, Tosfot brings one interpretation, which is that we have 13 Batei Midrashot that are studying Teharot. So over there, Rabbi Huda is having a hard time with Teharot. We have 13 Batei Midrashot that are learning Tarot, or the other interpretation, which is what Rashi mentions, which is that there are 13 different ways to have the Torah Shabbat expressed. And as Rashi points out, that we have the Mishnah of Rebbe, we have the Breitot of Rebbe we have the Mishnah of our Kapara or Levi, Tana de Beishmuel, that have misorot about the Mishnayot, and we have 13 of those different misorot. The basic point being in, in each of these cases is that they were very familiar with Tarot unlike the earlier generation. So that's the comparison in terms of Limana Torah. The Limana Torah has certainly increased and is of a both greater quantity and maybe even quality. Speaks about this a lot in Tanit. When we get there to Masechet Tanit, in terms of establishing fast days for rain in Eretz Israel. So when they began the fast day, one of the things they did was remove their shoes because it was a, it has a din of a Tanit Zibor, a din of Avelut, like we have on Tisha B'Av. And therefore, you have the Chamesh that he knew him, you have to remove their shoes. So as soon as he began to remove his first shoe, at the Mitra, it started to rain. That was enough indication of difficulty that they were having that Hashem brought the rain as soon as he started to take off his shoe. We flicked ourselves, scream out to Hashem, and nobody listens. Nothing happens. We could scream, daven, do anything we want, and nothing changes. So why is it that, despite the increase in Lima the Torah, despite the plethora of yeshivot studying Tarot and Shisha Sidre Mishnah, we're not getting answered by Hashem? The earlier generations used to be Moser Nefesh in order to be Mekadesh Shem Shemaim. We don't do that. Uh, we live the good life. We're not so ready uh, to give up of ourselves in order to be Mekadesh Shem Shemaim. And again, this doesn't mean like the classic, or today, the way that Kiddush Hashem is used in terms of someone dying al Kiddush Hashem. But here, Kiddush Hashem means that people were not willing to sacrifice for Kiddush Hashem. Like this case of Rav Bravo, saw this non-Jewish woman who was wearing a Karbalato Bishuka. Now, number one is that he didn't know she was a non-Jewish woman. The narrative is just explained to us that she was a non-Jewish woman. And number two is the Karbalato. It's unclear what this Karbalato is. We saw earlier in the Mesechta the Karbalato of the rooster, which is the crown of the rooster, the red crown. So over here, it could be that it's a begeded, uh, it's a it's a red beged. And that's what you can see in the Mesorot Shas he brings down from the Oroch. That that's what he believes it was. It was a red beged, which was something that was flashy and was not the proper tzniyut for a Bat Yisrael. Rashi brings that Karbalato were very expensive clothing. And others explain that Rashi means that she shouldn't have been go- walking around with expensive clothing without properly covering it. And the last explanation for Karbalato is that it was actually kilayim. And that would relate it back to the previous Gemara that we spoke about that someone is wearing kilayim, there's no dinner covered of briot, they have to be pushtana filo bishuk. And that's the connection between these two gemarot. Either because karbalota is kilayim, and even if you say that karbalota is not kilayim, we're talking about shem shemayim, being most nefesh to kiddush Hashem. And the previous gemara spoke about the fact that there is ein chokmav, ein tvurav, ein tzal, and Hashem. That there is no consideration about one's personal comforts when it comes to keeping the mitzvot Hashem. Therefore one is wearing Kilayim, they have to be pushtan bashuk, even though that may not be kabod abriot. So then he goes ahead, savar the bat Yisraeli, 
he thought she was a Jewish girl. Kam kare mino. He went ahead and ripped it off of her. So again, either because he thought it was inappropriate type of clothing that she was wearing, or because it was kilayim and it was in isur, or as Rashi says that she was wearing it in such a manner that she wasn't taking care of it, was not presenting it in the proper manner. Iglai milta de kutiti. In the end, it figured out that she was not a Jewish woman and she was actually non-Jewish. They find him 400 zoos for his attack, for his inappropriate behavior. So he says to this woman, what's your name? Amalei Matun. My name is Matun. Amalei, they made a play on the words. Matun, Matun. Play on the name Matun, meaning Matan. 200, so matun matun, 200, 200 ends up being that your your name is worth 400 zoos. The other possibility Rashi brings down is matun is to act with certain amount of restraint. Had I been with more restraint, it would have not cost me 400 zoos, but because I acted brashly, I acted impulsively, therefore it cost me 400 zoos. So the Gemara brings this as an example of a story that Rav Adar was willing to get fined 400 zoos. Because he did what he felt was correct here in terms of being Mikadeh Shem Shamaim. He didn't think about his own personal wealth. He didn't think about his own considerations. He thought about the Kharid al Hashem. And therefore he acted on that feeling of being Kharid al Hashem, even though it cost him a tremendous amount of money. Okay, now the Gemara moves on and says, Rav Gidol used to sit at the entranceway to the Mikvaot. As the women came there, he would instruct them about how to perform tvilo properly. He gave them instruction, he gave them halachic indications as what they should do. Aren't you worried about the Yitzharah? You're sitting here outside the women's mikveh. Isn't there a certain amount of Yitzharah? Because you're engaging with the women. He says back to them, In my eyes, they're like white geese. They didn't have that effect on him. They didn't have that impact on him because he was engaged in Torah, engaged in the Halakha. Rabbi Yochanan Tvila. Similar story is told about Rabbi Yochanan that he used to go sit at the entranceway to the Shari Tvila. When they come up from their Tvila and they'll see me. And as we know, Rabbi Yochanan was very good looking. He was an extremely handsome man. And if the as they leave the mik, they look at me, that will impact on them. And then they will have offspring that are as beautiful as me. Aren't you worried about the Ayin Hara? I am a descendant of Yosef. That the Ayin Hara has no impact on the Zerah of Yosef. So the first thing to ask over here is, why did they ask Rav Gidl about, when he said, aren't you worried about the Yitzharah? And by Rabbi Yochanan, they only asked him about the Ayin Hara. So we know why by Rabbi Yochanan, they asked him about the Ayin Hara, because he was focused on the beauty, or his own personal beauty, which was the contributing factor to him sitting there and affecting the women. So we know why they asked about the Ayin Hara, but what about the Yitzharah? How come they didn't ask that about Rabbi Yochanan? So uh, Bach brings a Gemara story about Rabbi Yochanan, which is not so relevant to our, our story over here with, with the son of Rish Lakish. But it said there that he had very long eyelashes and that it was difficult for him to see through those eyelashes. They used to have to lift him up to see. And so the Gemara doesn't ask about the Yitzharah because Rabbi Yochanan really wasn't able to see without any help or outside intervention. And therefore, he wasn't looking. So the issue for him was not an issue of Yitzhara, it was only an issue of Ayin Hara. 
Whereas Rav Gidil was instructing the women and he was engaging in conversation with them in order to instruct them about the halacha. So therefore he was definitely looking directly at them or conversing with them. And that's why the Gemara over there asks about the Yitzhah The second thing is with regards to Rabbi Yochanan, about seeing Rabbi Yochanan and then having Zari the Shippure, that was a very common belief at the time of the Gemara, through the time of the Rishonim, that what a person looked at had impact on them, both in terms of sickness, holy. We discussed this in our introduction to Masechet Nida, about the fact that many of the Rishonim believe that the holy, quote-unquote, of Nida, impact, if the woman who's a Nida looks at someone, she could have an impact in terms of holy. And we also discussed there in the Gemara Nida about person who looks at something during the time of Tashmish Mitad that has impact on the offspring that is produced. And so Rabbi Yochanan, in subscription to that, says over here that if the B'not Yisho, when they're exiting the mikvah, see him, that that have also have impact on their offspring, just from seeing him. The other thing you could say or suggest is that seeing Rabbi Yochanan would put them in the right frame of mind of what they should be davening for when they have Tashmish Mitad. And that we saw earlier by the Tamido Reino Yona as to regards to which way the bed is placed, north to south. The Tamido Reino Yona over there said that means what you should daven for. Because everything is determined at the point of conception. And if everything is determined at the point of conception, then the tefillot should be in place at that moment so that everything is right. So when they see Rabbi Yochadon, it'll put them in the right framework about what they should be asking in terms of offspring. And uh, therefore, they would ask for Tamido Chachamim, Vene Torah, and they would have the right mindset when they were having Tashmish Amitah. Right, something along those lines. So even with Behemoth there, it's a good example by the Behemoth of Yaakov Avinu, when he put on the Maklot, that the coloring of the Maklot had an impact on the outcome of the offspring of those animals. So that also, similar idea that the visualization of the animal would have impact on the offspring that they had. Alright, so now, the Gemara talks about this idea that when it comes to the Zerah of Yosef, that they don't have a problem with the Ayin because it says Ben Parat Yosef Ben Parat Aleayin Ben Parat Yosef is a fruitful bough or vine that emerges from Yosef Ben Parat Aleayin a fruitful vine or bough that uh, grows over the spring so Ram Rabbi Bo Altikre Aleayin those that grow by a spring Ela Oleayin those that exceed go above the Ayin mean they're above the Ayin Haro Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Chanina Marmi Hocha he learns it out the Pasuk from earlier in Parshat Vayechi, where the bracha is given to Yonashem Frayim, which is Vidgu the Rov Bekervaret. So Vidgu over there, the source of the word is Dagim. So Vidgu the Rov Bekervaret is meant you should multiply like the fish. Because Mar here makes a play on that, which is Ma Dagim Shibiyam Maimechasim Alehem. Just like the fish of the sea, the water covers them over. Ve'ena Aina Rasha let the Behem, and therefore the Aina Rasha has no impact on them because they're not visible. Abzarosha Yosef, Ve'ena Aina Rasha let the Behem. So too, by the Zerav Yosef, the Aina Rasha has no impact on them. Ve'ibayitema Ayin. The eye that did not want to benefit from that which didn't belong to him, meaning Eshed Potiphar. Since Yosef did not follow what his eyes saw, and that he withheld and held himself back from engaging with the wife of Potiphar, therefore he is rewarded that the Ayin has no impact on him. Alright, now we move on to the next Mishnah. We dealt with the first Mishnah in terms of Turim from Kriyat Shema when we're dealing with Metim, Onain. Now we move on to other Turim for Kriyat Shema, which is Nashim, Vavadim, Uktanim, Turim, Kriyat Shema. All of these three in this category are Turim, Kriyat Shema, women, 
and Avadim, they extend for the same reason. Here we're talking about Avadim, which is an Evid Gnani. They have the same din as a woman, which is that they are Turim from Mitzvah Tasei, Shazman Grama. If you have a time-bound positive mitzvah, then they are Turim. Kriyachma is an example of a time-bound mitzvah, a positive commandment, and therefore Nashim and Avadim are going to be Turim. Katan is Paturmi Kriyachma. That is somewhat of a controversy as to why they are Pturim from Kriyachma. Rashi says over here that the Katan that we're speaking about over here is a Katan Shigia Lechinuch. The Katan that's reached the age where you are obligated to educate him in the mitzvot. Rashi says, then why is he Pator? So listen to this line in Rashi. It's a fundamental line in Rashi about Chinuch. This machloka between Rashi and Tosafot actually is more explicit in Sukkah, but Rashi's prinyan is laid out over here very clearly. It's the last two lines in Rashi on this Amur. Tanim. They did not obligate his father to educate him and to have him practice in the mitzvah of He is not around when this man of Kriyachma comes up all the time. He's just not going to be there. It's just not possible for the father to be always be there. It's man Kriyachma. So we're not going to obligate the father in Chinuch or the mitzvah of Chinuch in that instance. Now what's very important about Rashi is who is the mitzvah of Chinuch on? When we say there's a mitzvah of chinuch, what does that mean? It's obvious that the parents or the father has to teach the child what to do. But the obligation of doing the mitzvah, who does that devolve upon? So here it seems pretty clear that it's the father's obligation to ensure that the child does the mitzvah. And that's Rashi's opinion, that chinuch is actually the obligation of the father. Not the obligation of the child, but obligation of the father. And therefore, the father cannot be present all the time. We're not going to obligate them in Chinuch in that case, because it's not really focused on the child, it's focused on the father. On the other hand, Tosafot believes that when it comes to a child, the midst of Chinuch, yes, the father has to teach it, but the obligation devolves upon the child themselves. The child themselves is then obligated in the mitzvah to do the mitzvah. It's not the father's obligation, it's the child's obligation itself. And therefore, the mitzvah is on the child. This has many nafkaminot in halacha. And it's a fundamental machloket in the view of Chinuch, whether Chinuch is the obligation of the parent, obligation of the father, in terms of the mitzvah, to do this mitzvah of Kriyachma, to do any mitzvah, is the mitzvah the obligation of the father, or is the mitzvah of the child themselves? Rashi here clearly says that it's upon the father. Tosafot here hints at it, but in other places, like in Sukkah, it's much more explicit that the mitzvah is the child's mitzvah, not the parent's mitzvah. On the other hand, Tosafot, both the Rebbe and the Rebbeinu Tam disagree. We're talking about here a katan, that she gia lechinuch. And we're talking about here, according to both of them, is a katan shaloi gia lechinuch. That means a katan has yet to reach the age of chinuch. Because if it was a katan she gia lechinuch, obviously it should be chayav over here. The only reason it could be patur is because shaloi gia lechinuch. And therefore we're talking about a katan over here that's patur mi is because he did not reach the age of chinuch. Uminat filin, and they are also patur minat filin. Again, filin is a mitzvah tasei shazman grama, because we don't put on filin at night, we don't put on filin on Shabbat ve Yom Tov. So it's a mitzvah that says Shabbat Shalom, Nashim ve'Avadim are Pturim. Tanim are Pturim because we're talking about something that requires careful treatment, watching, tarata guf, all of these things which are a little bit difficult for a katan, and therefore they are Pturim at Tfilin. This is also one of the rayot that Rabbeinu Tam and Deri says that we're talking about here a katan shaloi gi'ali chinuch that did not reach the age of chinuch because we know from the Gemara in Masechet Arachin that by Tfilin. The Zman of Chinuch is when he's Yechol Lishmar Lehem. That when he can watch his tefillin and take care of them properly, then he is Chayav in tefillin. So you see again that the Katan is Chayav in tefillin when it comes to that mitzvah of Chinuch. So therefore they both suggest here, the Ri and the Reinu Tam, that we're talking about a Katan Shalohi Gia Lechinuch. Now, 
they are now chayav betila and davening. Ube mezuzah, putting up a mezuzah. Ube berkat hamazon and benching. So be nashim vavadim. We're going to discuss this in the Gemara. Why tefila mezuzah and berkat hamazon have a requirement, or the women are chayavin? I just mentioned it in terms of mezuzah. Mezuzah is just a mitzvah say that does not zman grama. It's a mitzvah say that is continuous. It's, it's a continuous. A woman is chayavet in that mitzvah. Tefila and berkat hamazon will deal with in the Gemara. As far as a katan in this latter half of the Mishnah, is a katan chayav in these mitzvot? Is a katan chayav in tefillah or not in tefillah? So here's where the Ri and the Tam differ. The Ri says that the first half of the Mishnah is talking about a katan that has not reached the age of chinuch. The latter half of the Mishnah is talking about a katan that did reach the age of chinuch. And since he reached the age of chinuch, therefore he's chayav. And that's why the katan in the latter half here is chayav. The Rabbeinu Tam doesn't like this because then you have the inconsistency in the Mishnah between the Katan in the beginning and Katan in the end, the Rabbeinu Tam suggests that all of these cases are Katan Shalohi Gielichinuch. He just, the Katan is not Shayach in the Sefer. The Sefer, when we say Chayavin, is only referencing the Nashim and Avadim. It's not referencing the Katan at all. Alright, so there you have three different ways to look at the Mishnah. If Rashi is saying we're talking about a Katan Shagielichinuch, and the problem is here is that the father is the issue here, not the child. We have the Re and the Rabbeinu Tam both saying that it's a Katan Shalohi Gielichinuch, and that's why they are Pturim. In the latter half of the Mishnah, where they're Chayavim, either you have to say it's a Katan Shagilichinuch, or that it's not relevant to the Katan. Now the Gemara says, Kriyat Shema. We're talking about Kriyat Shema Pshita. Mitzvah What would you think? Why would you have any Havamina that a woman should be Chayavit in Kriyat Shema? It's a time-bound positive Mitzvah. And any Mitzvah that say that is time-bound, women are exempted from. The Gemara says, Maybe it's such a fundamental mitzvah of Kabbalat Omar Chuchamayim that it would be beyond the normal framework of mitzvot. It would be outside of that framework and it would not be governed by mitzvah that says Women would be chayavot in that. Kamash Malan, that they're not. Okay, minat filin, pshita. Again, it's pretty straightforward because filin are mitzvah that says Shazman Grama. Even though that's not pashut, because there are those that believe that they are not If you believe that nighttime is Zman Tefillin, if you believe that Shabbat Yom Tom is Zman Tefillin, then you could actually have Tefillin not be a Mitzvah Zman Grama. But assuming that it is a time-bound Mitzvah, then why would you have any Havah meaning that a woman should be Chayavet in this Mitzvah? So Madu In Kriyachma, when we say the Parsha of Ahato, there is a juxtaposition between the Mitzvah of Tefillin and the Mitzvah of Mitzvah. And we know that Mitzvah of Mitzvah is not time-bound, and you're Chayavet no matter what. So we think that juxtaposition might also be Mechayev, this woman, in the Din of Tefillin. It's not the case, and they remain separate mitzvot, mitzuzah being that the woman is Chayevet in that, whereas Tefillin, she is Pturah. And they're obligated to Davin. This is a very important Gemara, it's a difficult Gemara, but a very important Gemara, the one says, how come they have to Davin? It says, Tefillah is a supplication for mercy. And since it's supplication of mercy, why would you ever think that a woman does not need that? Why would you think that a woman is exempted from that? There's no reason to exempt her. It makes no sense to exempt her. It's all for our own benefit. It's all for our communication and relationship with Hashem. So, of course, the woman should have to daven. The next line in the Gemara, for the remainder of the part, Machlok Rishonim, whether we are Goreset. I'll read it to you and then I'll explain to you why it's a Machlok. Because it says about Filah, Erev, Avokir, Vetzaharayim. Filin, it says, Asicha, Vehema, meaning that I will speak to Hashem. I'll daven to Hashem in these three time periods. It's like a Mitzvah Asesha's Man Grama, and therefore maybe they should be Turot. Kamash Malan. Now here, Kamash Malan, you can read one of two ways. 
Kamash Milan, that it is not a mitzvah that says Shazman Grama, that's one possibility. Or Kamash Milan, despite that fact that it's a mitzvah that says Shazman Grama, nevertheless they are Chayavot in this mitzvah. Now, in terms of Filah not being a mitzvah that says Shazman Grama, we know that this is a famous machloki between the Rambam and the Ramban as to whether the mitzvah Tfilah is Mina Torah or Midrabanan. The Ramban believes the mitzvah Tfilah is the Rabbanan, except for exceptional cases where there's an Eitzarah. The Rambam believes that Tfilah is a mitzvah deoraita. But even the Rambam agrees that if we say Tfilah is a mitzvah deoraita, it is not the time when you have to daven and the structure of the Tfilah, except for the basic structure of the Tfilah, are all midrabanan. But if you subscribe to that part of the Rambam, that a Tfilah is a mitzvah say deoraita, and it does not time bound, I mean, there's no time periods where you have to daven. There's just a, a, a formal structure of the, has to be shevach, Bakasha and Hoda'ah, and that's it, then it would not be a mitzvah that says Shazman Grama. And because of that, that's what's the Kamash Malan. Kamash Malan, that there are Chayavot, because it's not a mitzvah that says Shazman Grama. The other Kamash Malan could be, again, even though it is a mitzvah that says Shazman Grama, nevertheless, they are Chayavot, because Rachmeninu, because it's Rachmeninu. Rashi says over here, drop this whole part of the Girsa. Do not put this in the Gemara. Why? Because the implications from this are that it's a mitzvah that says Shazman Grama, that's a terminology that's only used in mitzvah deoraita. And tefillah is not a mitzvah in a Torah. Since tefillah is not a mitzvah Torah, you shouldn't be graced this whole section over here. On the other hand, Tosafot says, I think you could put the gears in. What's the problem? He says, we do use this terminology even by mitzvah derabanan. So what's interesting is, neither of them suggest that it's a mitzvah deoraita. They both suggest that it's a mitzvah derabanan. Just arguing about whether the terminology mitzvah deseishas man grama is relevant to a mitzvah derabanan. Alright, so that's interesting in terms of putting this in the girsa or not putting this into the girsa might relate to this issue of whether tefillah is a din de oraita or tefillah is a din de rabbanan. U mezuzah. When it says pshita, of course you're chayavot in mezuzah. It's a mitzvah that say, shalom azman grama. It's not a time-bound positive commandment. Marutem hovit kishlatamu Torah. Because there's a juxtaposition in vayayim shema between limaritem otamet b'neichem to the din oktav tamam mezuzot b'techa. Therefore, maybe just like by Talmud Torah, which is not a time-bound mitzvah, women are to rote, because it says, Your sons, not your daughters, and therefore they are to read from Talmud Torah. So maybe too, by mezuzah, even though it's not a time-bound mitzvah, there should be a dispensation, or they should not be chayavot in it. Kamash that mezuzah is not governed by the din of Talmud Torah. Why is that? Because the next pasuk after is Why should you do this mitzvah in order to have a long life? And as Gemara asks rhetorically, Men need a long life, women don't need a long life. So it's clear that women need that same long life, and therefore they are chayavot in the mitzvah of mezuzah, so that they can attain that same reward of the man yibui mechem The next part of the Gemara is ubebirkat hamazon. This next piece of the Gemara is very difficult because in a second we're going to see the Gemara is not even sure what the Chi of a Birkat Amazon is. The Gemara says right now, Pshita. It's simple that they're Chayavot in Birkat Amazon. The Gemara says, That Hashem, when He fed you the man and the Slav, He gave you, at night, He gave you the Slav, the meat to eat, and the morning He gave you man to eat until you were satisfied. So I would think that since meals have a fixed time, so therefore it's similar to a time-bound mitzvah. That's not the way we look at it.
So now the Gemara moves on to something else and it's going to come back to Birkat Mazon in a second. Amar Ravadar Bahavad Nashim Chayavot Bikidushayom Dvar Torah. Minat Torah, women are Chayavot in Kidushayom. Now, what that is meant by Kidushayom is very interesting. Minat Torah, according to most Rishonim, Kidushayom just involves saying something like Yechulo, Mikadesh Shabbat. Whatever it is that accepts and acknowledges the Kedushat Shabbat, that is what is considered Kiddush Minat Torah. Kiddush Aliyayin is a mitzvah de Rabbanan. To me, Kaddish Aliyayin is a drush in the Gemara Psachim of Zachor Tiyom HaShabbat HaKadosh, Zachor Aliyayin. There are some Rishonim who believe that when it comes to Kiddush Aliyayin, that's also Dorite. So what's interesting here is that Rashi actually quotes that drush. He says, Zachor Tiyom HaShabbat HaKadosh, Zachor Aliyayin. Remember on the wine, it seems to indicate that's what Rashi thinks that we're speaking about in the Gemara. Even though, again, according to most, there is no din do right of Kiddush alayayin, that's only a din dira banan. And over here, we're talking about Hayom Dvar Torah. We're talking about it being a Torah obligation of Kiddush. So, it says, Amai, why are they Chayavot in Kiddush Hayom? Mitzvah Zaran Gorahu. It's a time bound mitzvah. It has to do with Shabbat. It happens once a week, it only happens at night. It's a time bound mitzvah. Vachom Mitzvah Sesha Zaran Goran Nashim Turot. Samar Abaye Midra Banan. They're Chayavot Midra Banan. Yes, it's a mitzvah doraita, but the rabbanan were mechayevuta, these women, despite that fact. Doesn't it say here that it's a Torah obligation? If that's the case, why it's unique about Kiddush? Let the rabbanan be mechayev, women in all mitzvah grama. If you're going to say they're patu midoraita, just say they're chayevot midorabanan. What'd you pick Kiddush for? El Omer Rova, Omer Kra, it's famous drusha, zachor, vishamor. We know it as Zachor Bishamar, but Dibur Achad Nemru, they were said in one word. But as we know, that the Aserat Dibrot that are found in Parshat Titro used the term Zachor. They said that Dibrot that are found in Parshat Etchanan used the term Shamor. And so therefore, there's a Hekesh. There's some sort of correlation between the word Zachor and Shamor. Zachor represents the positive commandment of Shabbat. Shamor represents the negative commandments of Shabbat. Kosh Yeshno Bishmira, Yeshno Bishchira. Anybody who is obligated in the negative commandments of Shabbat is also obligated in the positive commandments of Shabbat. When it comes to negative commandments, we know that a woman is chayevet in all mitzvah Torah. All lota says in the Torah, unless it's not relevant to her, like for instance, lota kifupat roshchem, cutting off the peyot or the beard, then they are turot. But otherwise, they are chayevin. Any lota say affects a woman as well. So any woman who is affected by the lotase is also going to be affected by the positive commandment. And that's why women are chayavot in Kirshayom in the Torah. Since they're obligated in the negative commandments of Shabbat, they're also obligated in the positive commandments of Shabbat. Just to encapsulate and understand that, the din of a woman being chayavot in Kirshayom in the Torah puts her on the same plane as her husband, which means that a woman could be motzi or husband with Kiddush, or it's just like a husband can see his wife in Kiddush because they have the same level of Kiyuv. They have the same obligation in the Torah in Kiddush. What will change is, for instance, if the husband goes to Shul and Davins, and then he's Yotze already his din of Kiddush de Oraita, Kiddush in the Torah, and then he comes home and he's going to make Kiddush for his wife, and he's only obligated Midra Banan, and she is obligated in Torah. In that case, he may not be able to be Motzi her. We're going to discuss this in one second again when we deal with Birkat Amazon, and that is because there may not be any arevut. There may not be any joint responsibility of mitzvot between men and women. And because of that, we do not have the, the principle of Yatsa Motzi, which is that generally we have a principle that even if you completed a mitzvah already, 
you're able to do that mitzvah and help someone else accomplish mitzvah. So for instance, if you heard the shofar on the morning of Rosh Hashanah, and then later on in the day, someone needs you to blow the shofar for them, you can blow the shofar for them. Even though you're no longer obligated in the mitzvah shofar, since you once had an obligation, and you are shayach, or relevant to that mitzvah, you can be motzi them. But that would only be true if you have some sort of joint responsibility between us. And we're going to see in a second that may not be so clear when it comes to women. So the solution to that problem is to always make sure that the women on Friday night say some sort of kiddush midoraita. Kiveger claims that if you say good Shabbos, that's enough to be kiddush midoraita. But otherwise they should just say vayichulu. They should say something that it takes them down a notch from the kiddush midoraita to the kiddush midorabanan. Therefore, the men and women are on the same level of obligation when the man is making Kiddush at home to motzi the woman. Now the Gemara continues and moves back to the issue of Birkata Mazon. Amalei Ravina Larova, Nashim Birkata Mazon, De Oraito, De Rabanan. Women, are they Chayavot in Birkata Mazon and Benching, Mina Torah, or only rabbinically? So now that goes back to the previous Gemara, which was very difficult. The Gemara before said Pshita by Birkata Mazon that the women are Chayavot. Now all of a sudden the Gemara is uncertain as to whether. The din is a din der abanan or din doraita. So how could it have been so pshita before that they are chayavot in the midst of birkamazon? Here we're not even sure what the obligation is. Is an obligation in a Torah or an obligation der abanan? So it seems a little strange that we have pshita before and then the girsa over here. So some of the rishonim have different girsaot here. Lands up in a major machlokat rishonim as to basically how to understand this gemara and how to reconcile that with the gemara in erachin, which speaks about women and birkamazon as well. Now, just to go back to what is the question of the Gemara here, why would you have a question as to whether a woman is obligated in a Torah or Midra Banan in Birkat Amazon? Rashi claims that the question here revolves around the issue of The whole premise of benching is that we're thanking Hashem. We're giving Hashem bracha for the land that He gave us. And therefore, since the women, the Nekevot, are not inheritors of the land, they will not have an obligation in benching Minat Torah. Rashi raised, what about Benot Slavchad? They did get, they did inherit the land. The answer is that they did it as chut avihem. They got it as a derivative of their father. They didn't get it because of themselves. They got it because their father inherited it, and then they got it from their father. But since they are not relevant to the nachalat aret, maybe you would think that they should not be chayavot in benching. So that's what Rashi says that the safek here is whether it's the rabbanan or not. Whereas Tosafot says he doesn't think that makes any sense because if what Rashi is correct over here, then kohanim and levim should also be b'turim from benching. Because also don't have a parachelic in the Nachalat Aretz. So why shouldn't they be patur as well? So Eliyish Tomar says, The time of Mishum Dechtiv al Britchash Chatamta Bisreinu, Vyatorat Chash Limaritano. In benching in the second bracha, we say that we thank Hashem for the Brit that He Chatamta Bisreinu put in our flesh, which is Brit Milah. And we thank Him for the Torah that He teaches us. These are both mitzvot that are only relevant to men, not to women. And the Gemara is going to say that anybody who doesn't mention these items in Birkat Amazon is not Yotze. So if these items are a part and parcel or primary obligation within benching, and they're not relevant to women, you'd be hard-pressed to say that women should be chayavot in benching minat Torah. So that's what Tosu claims the question is here. Rashi again claims the question relates to the connection to the land of Israel. So one says, Why does it make a difference if they're chayavot, mi banan, or mi makes a difference as whether they can be motzi, other people, in benching. If they have a Torah obligation, then they, since they're obligated in a Torah, can now be motzi, someone else, including a man who is chayav, mi doraita, from the Torah. But, if you say they're a banan, that they're only obligated from rabbinically, 
then they're not obligated in the mitzvah. If they're not obligated in the mitzvah, they can't be motziyachirim. Anybody who's not obligated in a mitzvah cannot then help someone else be yotzei that mitzvah. And since her obligation is only the rabbinican level, she cannot help a man on a doraita level, on a Torah level, be yotzei the mitzvah. Tamita Rebbeinu Yon raises the issue right now, which is that we're going to have later on in the Gemara. The Gemara says that someone who is obligated to meet the Rabbanan in benching could be motzi someone who is obligated in Birkat Amazon in Torah. So we see later on in the Gemara that the Gemara has no problem with someone who is obligated to meet the Rabbanan being motzi someone who is obligated to meet doraita. So why over here does the Gemara say, well, if the woman's only obligated to meet the Rabbanan, she can't be motzi someone who has a Torah-level obligation? And the answer that's given by the Rosh is that women do not have arvut. They do not have arvut, one for the other, meaning that they're not included in this ability to be motzi someone else when you're not obligated in the mitzvah. Arvut makes it that we're all like one joint entity, and there we can help each other out to being doing the mitzvot. The claim of the Rosh, as well as the Dogomer Vava, the Nod Yuda and Shochanach, is that women are not included in that principle. And therefore, there'll be a difference between the Gemara later on where we're dealing with two men. We have two men, even though one man is obligated only to meet he can be motzi another man, midoraita. Whereas over here, since the women don't have a din of arevut, they're unable to be motzi and a man who's obligated to meet But again, it has a big nafkamino to la locha in terms of arevut, about the ability of women to be motzi someone else when they do not have that same level of obligation. The Gemara says, my, what's the din here? Tashma, Bemet Amru, Ben Mivarech Laviv, Vevid Mivarech Larabov, Visham Mivarech Labala, son being underage, can say Birkat Mazon for his father, and Evid can say Birkat Mazon for his master, and a woman can say Birkat Mazon for her husband. Person should be cursed if that's how he conducts himself, meaning that the person's not educated enough that he can't say his own Birkat Mazon, and he's having his child or his wife say the Birkat Mazon for him, that's a sad state of affairs, and therefore he should be cursed. So, if you say that they're obligated in a Torah, you can understand what's transpiring over here. If you're saying, if she's only obligated in the Torah, how could she be Mutsi, the husband, according to your reason, what are you going to do with Katan? That solves your problem of a woman for her husband. So, if you say they're both Doraita, that takes care of it. But what about a Katan? Katan's never going to be obligated in Doraita in Birkamazon. So, how do you deal with that issue? The man only ate a rabbinic amount, which will obligate him in Birkat Mazon. Therefore, you're dealing only on a rabbinic level. And a person who's obligated to meet the rabbanan can also be motzi another person. So a katan who's obligated to meet the rabbanan can be motzi his father, who ate less than a shear that would make him chayv midoraita. And same with a woman. She's only obligated to meet the rabbanan. She can be motzi her husband, who is only obligated to meet the rabbanan. We see later on in the Gemara, it's a machloket, because the Pasuk says, Vachalta, v'savato, v'rachta, d'shem lokecha. That you have to eat, be satisfied, and then say, Birkat Amazon. So the obligation of Birkat Amazon derives from v'savata, you have to be satisfied. Machloket later on in the Gemara, if that's kabetz or kazayit, how much that is. But if he ate less than that amount, he's not obligated in a Torah to bench. It's only a rabbinic obligation to bench with less than that shiur. And that's the situation over here, and you can't prove anything from this brighta, because this brighta either be on a Torah level or a rabbinic level, and we can come up with the way to explain the Brayta in both instances. Avira was Doresh. Sometimes he said in the name of Ravi Ami. Sometimes he said in the name of Ravasi. Amru Gemara that we saw towards the end of Nida as well. That the angels came to Hashem. That you will not favor anybody and you will not accept bribery. Don't you favor B'nai Yisrael? Don't you... 
treat them differently. So Dikhtevi Sashem Panavilecha. Same Lecha Shalom. It sounds over there that you say Hashem Panavilecha, Hashem will turn his face to you. Now again, we mentioned this in Nida, Tosafot the Nida mentions this as well. The Pashtura Pasuk of Yisashem Panavilecha is not saying that Hashem favors you, but rather that Hashem should find favor, that we should find favor in Hashem's eyes. So the usage of the term is not the same, but it's clear here the Gemara is reading it as that Hashem favors Bnei Yisrael. So, How could I not treat Bnei Yisrael in such a manner? Because I commanded them that I said the obligation for benching only comes when you're satisfied. And they are particular themselves, depending on which opinion you think is Vesavata, that they bench even if they eat less than a Kazaid, or even if they ate less than a Kabetza, they haven't reached the point of Savata, they still bench because they go din. So it's a Mida connected Mida. We Bene so act din and accept upon ourselves obligations that are not in a Torah to do even more than what the Torah says. So to Hashem says I have to be no sipanim, I have to favor them, I have to go din and treat them differently and give them the benefit of their actions towards me. Okay, I'm going to stop over here. The next Mishnah begins the Sukhya of Valkyrie, which really carries through to the next daf. All right, so we'll stop over here.